Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the Wide Ride Podcast. Man, what a dumb name for a podcast. Miami's always sucks, it's more like it. Anyway, I'm your host this week, Kurt Reynolds, president of the Florida State Flank Club. This week, I'm here to make fun of Mario Cristobal and his little 6-2 football team who needed double overtime to beat Dabo Weenie in Clemson two weeks ago. Needed to play overtime again just to beat Virginia this past week. For some reason, my producer... Bobby Jimbo Jameis decided to book this guy as our guest. Uncle Fluke. Mr. Fluke is here to tell us why Mario refuses to take a knee when he's actually winning and why he can't beat North Carolina, but Virginia and Georgia Tech can. Uncle Fluke, the floor is yours. Let me tell you something, uh, Kurt, Billy Bob, Reynolds, J- Jameson, whatever your name is, Jim Beam. Uh, the reason Mario can't take a knee is because his back is too messed up from banging your mother who happens to be your cousin and your sister. <laughs> And that's the way we do Seminoles down here, baby. Right in the semi-hole. <laughs> Bang. Notice notice the gear. Notice the championships right here. How many are these? I'm sorry, you can't count that high because you're a Seminole fan. Those are five titles, my man. All right? Don't be getting on me, son. Uh, brings them look, at the chain. look at the work with the chain, son. Look at this. Look at this. You can't deal with this. I got more um, bling than you have teeth. <laughs> Thanks for that very interesting take, I guess, Uncle Fluke. Uh, I can't wait to hear what Tyler from Spartanburg has to say about all that. Uh, anyway, it's time to do the real show. I'm your host, Manny Navarro. He's Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast. Happy Halloween. You can see that we're up in our uh, in our costumes today. It's around 1 p.m. here on a Tuesday. Miami Hurricanes are 6-2, and two, as I mentioned. Still very much alive in the race to reach Charlotte for the ACC title game. But a daunting month of November awaits, Carlos. Uh, we'll get to that in a second been some news here in the last 24 to 48 hours number one the ACC released its uh schedule for the next seven seasons with the new additions to the league Cal Stanford and SMU Miami uh has two protected rivalry games as part of this FSU Miami and again Virginia Tech Miami which was good we didn't that was sort of lost last year when uh, they decided to go to the 355 format I'm glad the ACC decided to make Miami Virginia Tech an annual rivalry again good news there we'll discuss that in a bit We'll preview November, uh, answer mailbag questions. Uh, but first, Carlos, uh, I've got to take this wig off because, first of all, it's itchy as hell. So, I'm, and, uh, Yeah, it looks uncomfortable. It, it's very itchy. It's very itchy. I don't know why I decided that I needed long hair or even this, this stinking FSU hat, but I wanted But let me tell you something. The, having the wig on reminds me of what you used to look at look like when you went to the kitchen club back in the day in the 90s <laughs> in the Grove. Yes, it looked pretty horrible. Uh, but um, – 
So anyway, I can't take this FSU shirt off. First of all, it's two sizes too small. So I feel like it's like completely wrapped around my body. So please bear with me, Miami fans. Besides, you guys say I'm a Florida State fan anyway. So it actually feels feels natural for me to be wearing this. Um, anyway, Carlos, I want to talk about my trip to Jacksonville. And I know you're probably thinking to yourself, why the hell do, you, do we want to talk Gators, Georgia? Uh, first of all, uh, I got to see the number one team in the country. I got to see what it's supposed to look like, right, when you've got a great team uh paired up with uh with somebody else and and the ga- uh the Gators got absolutely manhandled in that game. Uh Georgia really took it to them in Jacksonville and we lost Carlos obviously here for a second. Hopefully he'll he'll, he'll jump back in here in a minute. Um but the Gators looked absolutely awful. Uh Georgia looked really really good in winning that game. Uh and I thought, you know, the one the one big takeaway for me, number one, Miami plays Florida next year early on in the season. Um, I think August 31st. So I got a good chance to sort of look at the Gators, see their roster, see how it sort of compares to Miami. And I know a lot's going to change. They've got a really good recruiting class. They got DJ Lagway, the quarterback coming in. Uh, Miami kind of has an interesting situation at quarterback themselves, uh, letting Carlos back in here to the discussion as we record. Uh, but the Gators, you know, what I, what I really studied in that game was the offensive and defensive lines. And Carlos, welcome back. I was just te- telling our listeners here uh, how uh, going to the game in Jacksonville, I got a chance to see Florida up close. I dropped off on purpose because you were talking Gator football. I, I apologize. Uh, I, I know I'll, I'll try to keep it short. But Miami does open the season with them next year on August 31st in Gainesville. And seeing Georgia sort of manhandle them up front on the offensive and defensive lines, which is really what Mario's trying to build, right? He's trying to build the superpower there. Gave me a lot of hope for the Hurricanes that when they start that game next season, regardless of who's playing quarterback for them, I think Miami can can beat the Gators, right? If I, if, they, if they were to play right now, I'd pick Miami to beat Florida. What are your thoughts on uh, on on looking ahead to that rivalry game? Listen, I I will never pick the Gators. I don't care how good they are. Um, <laughs> to me, there is a stronger hatred uh, for the Gators than there is for Florida State. At the very least, Florida State is respectful because they play us every season. They don't dodge the Hurricanes. They don't make excuses about their conference being too tough and having to add you onto the schedule just really doesn't work for us because, you know, we promised Coastal Carolina Tech uh, of of the blind and wicked that we were going to play them this year. You know, we can't give you guys that slot, so sorry. Listen, they're, they're, if they play the Gators this year, they would maul the Gators just based on principle. All right. That's the, that's going to be my score prediction anytime they play the Gators. I don't care who's a quarterback. Tim Tebow, uh, Connor Maynard, uh, Garrett Mertzafitz, uh, bring back Danny Werfel. I don't care. Bring whoever you want. All right. It doesn't matter. Well, I think, you know, and we'll talk about this more as the summer goes along, but I think when you just look at the way both of these coaches, Billy Napier and Mario, are building their teams. Billy Napier's recruiting class this year is better, the one that he's building, than, than the one Mario has at the moment. I think a large part of that is they've got a lot of good players in their front seven. They're recruiting linebackers, rush ends, et cetera. They got the number three class in the country. Miami, last check, I think was 11th. Um, but he's done a good job recruiting. But what, what you saw sort of get exposed in that game um, was the fact that they go for a fourth and one deep in their own territory and they got to run a trick play just to, just to move the line of scrimmage forward to try to move the line of scrimmage forward a few feet. And so I think, you know, up front, that's where Miami probably uh, right now, when you think Miami and Florida, who's further along in the development, I would say certainly Miami uh, in that regard because of the offensive line. Now, look, Miami's going to have to replace some guys, JV and Cohen, 
Uh, Matt Lee, both of those guys will probably be gone after the season. Matt Lee for sure because he's out of eligibility. Javon Cohen has one year left, but probably going pro. So they'll have some guys in the offensive line to replace. But again, that it speaks to me like and, and it'll be an interesting thing to watch in the years to come because Miami and Florida will go head to head for recruits. They will go head to head uh, on the field the next couple of years. Um, I think it's an important thing to sort of watch develop over over the next couple of years to see who gets further ahead, further ahead. Will it be Miami or Florida right now? For sure, we can all agree the the T-shirt I'm wearing that team right now is a little bit further ahead than everybody else. Well, yeah, and I think it's because of uh, the way they've each had to construct their teams and the situations that they've run into when they they first took those teams over. Um, you know, Jimbo Fisher left the cover pretty pretty well stocked at Florida State before he left, even though it was a transition and they had to flip that over. You know, uh, Norvell's had to use the, the transfer portal a little bit more than most, and he's gotten some really good acquisitions through there and also built up the recruiting classes now. Um, to me, Mario's philosophy of building the lines up front before he really tries to build everything else, or at least focusing on that initially, is the way to build a foundation for a successful program, as we've talked about in the past. And I think Florida mm-hmm. has tried to focus more on the skill positions uh, and on the rush ends and the corners and the receivers and running backs and stuff like that. But you can't, you cannot be successful if you can't block or tackle and if right. you can't control the line of scrimmage. So if your quarterback is running around for his life and you can't make a first down by putting the hammer down and running for it, traditionally and you have to use a gadget play to try and pick up a fourth and one then you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say how well is this team constructed have we done the right thing and i think mario for the most part is building this in his own image in his style and he, he likes to build it from the ground up from the inside out and i think that's going to work out uh you know it's there's going to be some difficulties obviously in recruiting and recruiting skill position players sometimes in this kind of, kind of a system or in this kind of a culture the way mario likes to play it but all it takes is a little bit of success and momentum to be able to get to that point where guys start to take notice and say, you know what, this is probably the place for me, uh, those skill position guys. So I didn't get to watch the game entirely. I did have it on my phone as the Gators were getting their asses kicked. I, I wasn't exactly tied into the Florida-Georgia game, even though I was there in person to watch it. Uh, once it kind of escaped, I was able to tune into the Miami game. And I, obviously they fell behind early 10 nothing. Uh, came back to win the game in over high, overtime, 29-26. But Tyler Van Dyke was really the story in this game because coming back from injury, um, you know, he was really beat up. I, I thought going into this game, um, you know, nowhere near 100%. And I thought the way that he played, that the interceptions he threw, some of the decision-making, he just couldn't get the ball to where it needed to go to. And, and look, he's thrown a lot of interceptions. I'm not trying to make an excuse for him. But Carlos, that was my thought process. Miami basically had a decision. Mario Cristobal had a decision. He could have kept Emory Williams in the lineup if Tyler Van Dyke wasn't banged up um, or, or was banged up and, and didn't have necessarily the confidence in him. But ultimately, he and offensive coordinator Shannon Dawson both felt it was important to play Tyler in this game. Uh, finished 20 of 30, 163 yards, two picks. Uh, not his finest performance by any stretch of the imagination. Watching You watched that game from beginning to end. I watched bits and pieces of it, went back and watched it again. Did you come away with the same impression that I did, or was Tyler just horrible You know, in terms of some of the decisions that he made? I thought it was a physical ailment. Uh, um, I don't know that it was all physical. I think that played a part in it. Mm-hmm. I think there was uh, some stuff where you could see where he was hobbled. He couldn't really get around in the pocket a lot. Um, he can throw on the move as he would normally like to or be able to. Um, some of the throws downfield maybe were affected a little bit by his, his injury, but I think it was a combination of him just not being mentally right and also the game plan coming into me not being right as well. 
I think it's a combination of all those things. Mm-hmm. And to me, it confirmed it when Mario Cristobal went on the Joe Rose show yesterday. And he said they played coverage a lot more than we expected. Mm-hmm. Like Mario, if you and Shannon Dawson came into this game believing <laughs> that Virginia was going to man you up and dare you to throw the ball over the top and bring pressure from different angles, and I, an idiot who has no affiliation with college football, who does not coach, who who does not – I might have coached a little high school ball, but not good high school ball. I was terrible as a coach. Um, can identify the fact that this guy has issue issues reading coverages and throwing into coverage windows. And you see the game plan that's been used against him recently by Georgia Tech, you know, now by Virginia. He's, he's at North Carolina. And what Virginia did to Drake May – like, how did you not anticipate that we're going to play coverage 90% of the time? Like, I, I went on my podcast, and this is, again, listen, sorry, guys, if this sounds braggy. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you what I said on my podcast ahead of time. Because on my podcast, what I like to do is identify what I think the teams are going to do against the Hurricanes and what the Hurricanes need to do to be successful for the most part. And what I saw was I thought Virginia was going to play a lot of coverage. I thought they would only bring five guys at a time, maybe six on occasion, which they did. They only brought five most of the game. And I thought Miami was going to have to be prepared to face those sorts of coverages because Tyler can't throw against them. And I thought Tyler would give them the best shot to win because he's the better he's a better quarterback at this stage in his career. Now, the issue becomes when you come into a game plan, into a game with a game plan that's set for a certain type of, of coverage, which they were expecting man and pressure, because I guess because they felt since Tyler was hurt and he had a bruised knee that he couldn't move in the pocket, he, they felt Virginia was going to bring the heat on him, and they right. didn't. They just sat back. At that point, you've got to adjust then, right? You've got to change yeah. what you're coming in to do. And they didn't do that. They maybe got a, got a, into a flow of it in the third quarter a bit and in the fourth, but you just have to be able to be better than that as a coach and think on your feet a little bit better and come into a game expecting one thing and be prepared for the next. I mean, I, I honestly don't know how they didn't expect that, the you know, zone coverage most of the game. Um, and, and how do you break that down then, right? Because that's going to be the situation moving forward for the rest of the season. NC State is not a big man, uh, zone team. They're, they're a 3-3-5 stack. They like to bring pressure from angles. They'll mix it up in coverage, but they like to play man. They're going to play zone two. They're going to drop eight a lot. They're going right. to give Tyler coverages he can't really read and understand because they've seen the tape. And it's been the same since, you know, he was a redshirt freshman and hasn't improved. And that's his weakness. But then you have to, as an offensive coordinator, put him in the best position possible. What does Tyler do well? Well, Tyler does. He likes to throw the ball quickly, likes to get it down the field or make quick reads and, and throw it quickly, right? And, and get it out of, the, out of his hands. So where are the RPOs? This team has not used an RPO all season, right? Why are RPOs good against zone? Because it forces the defense to commit, right? And then open those gaps and those windows and make the throwing windows clearer and wider for the quarterback to be able to read. And it's also a smaller read progression for the quarterback because the first thing he's doing is reading a first-level defender, usually a defensive end, and a second-level defender, usually a linebacker or a defensive back. Or sometimes with the RPOs, you will just read the second-level defender if you want to throw it in that window. Okay? And we have that. The Hurricanes have not done that this season. They haven't made it easy on Tyler when he used to make money on those throws under Rhett Lashley, and even under Josh Gaddis, we threw some RPOs and, and they were successful, but not as much as under as, as they did as uh, under Lashley. The other thing they have to do is they have to try and confuse coverages by using motion. The Hurricanes rarely motion. It, it, they're too static of a team. They're too static in the way they line up. The only motion they use 
is the tight end motion from one side to the other to give him some momentum to kick out the defensive end or to lead up inside of a hole. They don't use motion to confuse coverage, and that's a problem. The other thing they need to do is to use formations to make the defense give away the coverage. Right. You overload one side with trips. You motion out of that also. You do different things to make the defense easier to identify and create an opportunity for Tyler to know where to go to foot with the football before the snap even happens. But they haven't done that. So, yes, Tyler's to, to, at fault for a lot of the interceptions. He's staring receivers down. He's not reading the coverage. That 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 throw where he had the interception uh, by the safety over the top, it was covered too. He had a whole shot that he needed to make. And he just left it inside too much, and he didn't anticipate the safety getting over. They baited him into the throw. Um, it just wasn't a good decision by him. He had other opportunities. We had guys open, and he missed them and chose to go other places with the football, oftentimes to Restrepo. And it, it just has to be a situation where Tyler and Shannon Dawson get on the same page. They identify what Tyler does well. They identify who they need to get the football to because – my God, is Colby Young underused in this offense? And and you can't just anticipate giving Brashard Smith a handoff and then he's going to run for 80 yards every time. you got to give him the ball in space. You've got to do things to help these guys make plays. And I don't think the offense is lending itself to that. And I don't think Tyler Van Dyke is being put in a position to be the most successful. And at the same time, I don't think Tyler is playing that well because he doesn't feel comfortable in what he's doing, what he's seeing. All great points, dude. Um First of all, a couple little notes from the game just to, to sort of back some of the stuff you were saying. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, Virginia only blitzed Tyler on six of his 30 dropbacks. Only 20% of the time other teams have done that more often. But you're right. They're drop basically dropping into coverage saying we're going to we're going to just pick you off and force you into turnovers. And like you said, he's he, he doesn't look comfortable in what they're running. The other aspect I would say, uh, 27 more plays run by Virginia in this game. They uh, came in. Their game plan was much better than Miami's. And I yep. thought, considering the way Miami ran the ball against Clemson, the fact that they only attempted uh, 26 rushes for 113 yards and threw it 30 times was probably a mistake as well. I would have come out from the get-go and tried to run the football on this team and set the tone. Again, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're holding stuff back. I know the schedule gets a lot tougher in November. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But uh, to have 276 yards of total offense against Virginia, uh, who I know is a much improved two and sixteen, by the way. Okay, they should have probably beaten NC State. Uh, they they played Boston College tough. Like they they've they're they're not a horrible two and sixteen. They've gotten better. Tony Elliott, I think, is doing a pretty good job with what he has to work with. That said, uh, if the offensive line is your strength. I don't know why you only ran the ball 26 times. You should have run it a lot more, even with some guys banged up. In the end, you get Mark Fletcher back. Uh, he finishes with 47 yards, including the game-winning touchdown run. A.J. Allen had that highlight hurdle run, uh, for, you know, finished with 67 yards and a score as well. Uh, maybe we get Henry Parrish back this week. Maybe, you know, Don Chaney Jr. is back as well. I know Trevante Citizen is is back practicing. They still haven't sort of trusted him yet to get in there and, and pass block. But the point is, you have enough running backs where you don't have to wear somebody down here over the month of November. And if I were Mario, uh, knowing the way my quarterback is playing, I would do everything in my power to run the ball 60-40 instead of the other way around where you're passing it 60-40. Uh, well, it, it creates better opportunities for him as well. We've discussed this a ton of times. What does having a strong running game do? It makes you commit yeah. more guys to the box, which opens up throwing windows and gets you man coverage. Because what you, what you have to do now is 
because teams are going to try and play you zone all the time, it's like when you're playing high school basketball and you're you're playing these teams that like to play zone to slow the game down, what you have to do is pull them out of the zone. Yeah. You get a lead, you run, you score in fast breaks, and you pull them out of the zone by holding the ball and forcing them to match up with you. And that's what the Hurricanes have to do with the run game, motion, and formations. And, and to speak about it, not, not only do you have to use the running game, but if you want to preserve, preserve some of those running backs or even add another dimension to the offense, which you should – they're not throwing bubble screens. They're not throwing now screens. They're throwing these quick screens that they've run all, all season, these quick tunnel screens that are getting blown up by people now because they've seen it so many times. But they have not run bubble screens. They have not run now screens. Those are runs, too. Those are effective to help the quarterback get in a rhythm and get you three, four yards and keep the chains moving. Um, also, I think defensively, they they could have been coming in with a better plan. But we'll talk about that later. Carlos, I, I, I looked ahead to November. I broke down all of the opponents on Miami schedule. First of all, you got three winning teams on the schedule. NC State's five and three. Their losses are to Notre Dame, Louisville, and Duke. So you can't say three you're really in good a, teams. Three good teams. Uh, Florida State's unbeaten uh, at eight and zero. They're ranked seventh in the ESPN Power Index. NC State's ranked fifty first. Miami's ranked twenty third. Uh, you got Louisville, who's ranked twenty first. They're seven and one. Their only loss is to Pittsburgh, which uh, I know Pat Narduzzi's kind of have a has a mess on his hands, but look, they they fell asleep at the wheel for one week, came back and absolutely dominated Duke this week, twenty three to nothing to 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 get to seven wins, and then Boston College, who has a really dangerous quarterback in Thomas Castellanos, who has run for six hundred seventy three yards that and nine touchdowns, uh, and he's a dual threat. And they're five and three now. Yes, they lost to Northern Illinois to start the season, uh, but their other two losses at five and three are just to FSU and Louisville. Okay, I know their most impressive win isn't necessarily great as Georgia Tech, but still, they're five and three and playing well. So, I guess let's start with this, and we're, and we're going to get to mailbag questions and all that kind of stuff in a little bit. But my first question to you, Carlos, um, when you look ahead to the month of November. Looking at the health situation of Miami, Akeem Mesador out for the season, Nigel Lee Kelly out for the season. This defense, who we haven't talked about yet, Reuben Bain is playing out of his mind. Six and a half sacks to lead the team. Uh, they had six sacks in this last game. They're playing well, but they're going to need the offense to step up their game, and there's some good defensive teams that they're facing here down the stretch, and we'll get into each of them. In your mind, before I even break down any of these numbers, what are you thinking at six and two? How do you think this season finishes? I mean, two and two would be great. If they could finish eight and four, I think that'd be a real successful season. Um, you know, especially the way Tyler's playing right now, the way he's injured. If you have to go to Emory Williams at some point, finishing eight and four coming off of a five and seven season. We said it before the season even started. Regardless of how the season plays out, eight and four would be a successful season. So I think that's very realistic. Um, I think if the offense gets it together, if they come in with a good plan the next few weeks, they can go three and one realistically and finish nine and three. So, you know, I'm, I'm between eight and four and nine and three. Okay. I, I'm, I'm at eight and four and seven and five. And the only reason I say that is I haven't seen the offense adapt yet uh, to, to these injuries and some of the players being banged up. Do I have the confidence they can finish nine and three? Yes. I think they could. I think they could finish nine and three. I think there's even a chance they could go to FSU with the right game plan and pull off a stunner and beat the Seminoles as good as the Seminoles are. But I, I I'm of the opinion I'm leaning more towards seven and five, eight and four, just because they're playing some good teams that have a little bit of confidence. To me, of the four games that they have left, the most winnable is this week against NC State. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Because Boston College is at the end of the year. Uh, you don't know who's going to be standing after the FSU game and the Louisville game. Those are going to be physical battles as well. So from a health perspective, 
I have a feeling Miami's going to be more banged up when they go to play Boston College than they are NC State this weekend. So let's talk about NC State first because that's the game coming up this week. I think Miami's a five-point favorite last time I looked at it. Uh, NC State's offense averaging 25 points a game, uh, which is 83rd in the country, 25.3. From a first downs yards per play perspective, 103rd and 112th. So it's not like they're moving the chains a whole lot. Um, Touchdowns to interceptions, 11 to 10. Um, yards per pass play, they're 115th. Uh, pass blocking efficiency, they're 83rd. Um, 65th in sacks allowed. MJ Morris, the second year freshman, is their quarterback. Uh, their leading rusher, Carlos, I couldn't believe this when I saw this, is still Brendan Armstrong. That's how bad they run the football. Their former starting quarterback is their leading rusher with 286 yards, and their top receiver is a true freshman. And uh, Kevin Concepcion, uh, they're not very good on third down. They're 78th and third down offense where they are good or where they're better is clearly on defense where they've got, you know, a guy like Peyton Wilson at linebacker, only giving up 23 points a game, which is 48th. Uh, they're 50th or 49th in yards per play turnovers gains. Um, they've produced 14 turnovers in their games, which is 28th uh, rushing Yards per game, they're only giving up 3.48 yards rushing, which is 30th in the country. And opponent QBR, they're 44th. So um, a pretty good defense. When you look at this game, I know you're probably – I don't know if you've broke, broken down NC State completely on your own, but what do you what what do you think is the key to victory for Miami against the Wolfpack? Turnovers. N- number one, turnovers. I think if Miami protects the ball and wins a turnover battle, they will win this game. Uh, I think, you know, coming into the game against Virginia – I thought turnovers and the third quarter were going to be the key because going into that Virginia game, Miami had been outscored in ACC play 45 to seven in the third quarter. Uh, luckily, they came they came out ahead of that third quarter, 14 to 10. You know, we had that uh, touchdown run. Uh, I think that was the uh, the AJ Allen touchdown run followed by the Cam Kitchens pick six. So that got the Hurricanes in a position where they could take it to overtime at the end of the game and win it. If they didn't have that kind of a third quarter, if it was another repeat performance from before, they would have lost that game. I think it's the same situation here. I think the turnovers are the key. Um, This offense for, for NC State is not very good. They're not going to score points unless you give them opportunities to score points and do that on a short field. If you give them the ball in a short field, they're at least going to get three points out of it. They may get seven. If you uh, if you don't play them well, or if they come up with something out of their butt, if they throw like the annexation of Puerto Rico and then they get a, a touchdown out of that play, but for me, what you don't want to do against a bad offense is give them multiple opportunities. It's just like playing, you know, against a guy who's a terrible shooter. If you give him enough shots, he's going to make one or two, right? And then you, normally, when you're playing a pickup basketball game, the worst shooter makes the shots at the worst possible time against you, right? It's then you know, game point. And I'll leave him alone. Bang, there it goes. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you don't give these guys extra opportunities to try and score points that you protect the ball on your side and you create, create more opportunities for yourself with turnovers uh, on the defensive end. If the hurricanes can win the turnover battle, I'm very confident they win this game very easily. All right. I, I I'm going to pick Miami to win this week. I think by a touchdown, I think they'll cover the spread, but I think it's going to be a tight game in the fourth quarter. And I think yeah. ultimately what's going to win it is the running game. I think Miami I'm picking Miami to win this running the football and by playing a clean football game without turnovers, maybe one, but that's that's the way they'll win this game, like 27-20, something where it's not uber sexy, but the defense does its job, and they run the football, and that's how they win this game. As far as they gotta be, they gotta be plus two at least in turnovers. Yeah, as far as Florida State, Louisville, and BC, I mean, look, I, I just I'm gonna go over them briefly, real quick. These are some stats that just stuck out to me that were really impressive for for each of these teams. First of all, Florida State's fifth in scoring; they're averaging 41.5 points per game. 
Uh, Miami's averaging 35 a game. Okay. Uh, turnovers lost for Florida State, four the whole season. Okay. They've only turned it over four times in their eight games. So that's second in the country. Uh, Jordan Travis, uh, his touchdown interception ratio, 18 to two. He's completing close to 65% of his passes. Trey Benson is their leading rusher. Keon Coleman, their leading receivers got nine touchdown passes. Uh, they're 26th and third down conversions, uh, 40, close to 45%, uh, red zone touchdown percentage close to 94%, which is top 20, um, they're playing really well. And and to me, the defense is sort of undervalued a little bit, I think, as well. Uh, they're a top 20 defense in terms of scoring. And then this is really impressive, Carlos. They've given up three touchdown passes the entire season. They've got five picks. Uh, so to me, you can say what you want about their secondary. I think that was a question we had going into the season. Like, how good are they going to be back there? We, we we thought the front seven would be really, really good. Um, they're not getting a ton of sacks. They're, they're 33rd, 2.63, which is actually less than Miami. Miami's ninth in sacks. But in terms of third down defense, they're 14th in the country. Red zone, red zone touchdown percentage, they're 13th in the country. This is an elite Florida State team. I don't know about elite. To me, they're a really good ACC football team. I think they're the best team in the conference. I don't think they're going to be – I don't think they match up well against other teams that will be in the playoff, to be quite honest. I think they're good. They're really good. I don't think they're elite just yet. They haven't looked elite to me. I think they've struggled against some lower-tier teams too many, too often to me for, for me to be able to say these guys are you – know, these guys are nasty. These guys are legit. They are a really good football team. I think the concern for me is the turnovers. They're not turning the football over. They're being very efficient with the ball. Um, you know, they can run the football, they can throw the football, but I, it's, it, there's not one part of their game to me that is overwhelming to where you say, damn, wow, that's nasty. Wow. These guys are so good. They're just really good all around. And I think teams like that, if they have a bad day, can be gotten. I think they don't have the type of team to me that can overcome uh, a really horrendous day. I think if you're if you're in a battle with them in the fourth quarter, you got a shot. And I think you saw it against Boston College, saw it against other teams. They were saved against Boston College because of all those penalties um, that Boston College was racking up. So to me, there's a shot to beat this team, but you have to play, play your best game. To me, if Florida State comes comes in and plays their average game, what they normally do, and if Miami comes in and plays their average game, what they normally do, I, I think Florida State runs away with it. But I think Miami has to elevate their game and play at a different level and, and hope to cause Florida State to play one of their worst games of the season and muddy it up for him. And and I think being physical, getting after the quarterback, forcing Jordan Travis into bad throws, uh, keeping him in the pocket and not letting him beat you with their legs, which is really the, the difficult thing about that offense is you, you have this guy hemmed in, you've got everything covered. You feel you got it down. You're going to go in there for a sack and this guy eludes you and escapes and runs for a first down. That's the difficulty of their offense. And I think Benson is one of those running backs that can get hot. And when he gets hot, he's tough to stop. Louisville, I think, has the best running back Miami will face this season in Jawar Jordan, um, who's this, the number two leading rusher in the conference. 824 yards rushing um, for the season, 10 touchdowns. Uh, they're averaging 4.77 yards per carry, which is 34th. Uh, their quarterback, Plummer, uh, 13 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Their offense is basically predicated around Jordan and then Jamari Thrash, the receiver, their big play receiver, who's got 46 catches for 712 yards and six touchdowns. They've basically got two big playmakers. Um, they're okay in terms of third down. I mean, actually third down, they're 37.5%. They're Red zone touchdown percentage, they're 82nd. Uh, both of those numbers in the 80s. Um, really, it's Jordan, a big part of this offense, and, and they're big play passing-wise. They're, they're 19th in yards per pass as far as an offense, averaging just under 33 points a game. 
defensively, that's where I think they they kind of surprised me a little bit, Carlos, because they I know when I broke down Louisville in the preseason, they had lost a lot of their elite passers. They were they were one of the best teams in the country in terms of sacking opposing quarterbacks last year. Uh, and then they lost some guys to the NFL in the portal. Um, this year, they're averaging 2.38 sacks per game. Austin Jalot, who I think he's among the ACC leaders, eight and a half sacks. He's their top player. They're really good on third down. They're a top 10 third down defense right now, um, allowing fewer than 30% in terms of conversions. Um, and then their run defense is really, really good. 3.03 per carry, which is 12th. Miami is seventh in the country in terms of run defense, 2.79 yards per carry. So, But this is a game at Miami following Florida State. It's going to be a really interesting matchup. But I think, you know, it could if Miami somehow is able to pull the upset at FSU, everyone's going to look at that game and say, man, they, they better not fall asleep at the wheel against Louisville because that's that's how they'll get themselves eliminated from the from the conference contention. I mean, it's a difficult game regardless because how much you're going to have left following that Florida State game. Generally, those games are wars. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of it, you got a lot of guys banged up. A lot of guys don't have a lot of juice left. And whoever that next opponent is, it's going to be a tighter game than it should be because of those those physical ailments and everything you gave the week before. So it's going to be interesting to see. So basically, this game is going to come down to, I think the rest of the season is really going to come down to, can you stop the run from the opponent? Um, and can you run the ball well yourself? That's basically what it's going to come down to. Because, you know, the Garden Snake is playing really well for Louisville, you know, Plummer, but he's he's not, uh, you know, somebody that that scares me. It's overwhelmingly good. Um, their running game is really the, the cornerstone for them, and Thrash is the guy that, that they rely on to get, get, get deep on defenses and make plays. You know, just like Castellanos with Boston College, he's the guy I'm worried about, you know, with his legs. Can you stop the running game with him, the zone reads, uh, keeping him in the pocket, forcing him to bat throws down the road? It's going to be a situation where the Hurricanes have to continue to to maintain this identity of being a run-stopping team. But I think to do that, you know, going back to the Virginia game, I think they made a mistake coming into that game and going back to a 4-2-5 when they had just been so successful against Clemson Clemson in that 3-3-5. It gave Clemson problems blocking up front and allowed linebackers to get to the football uh, a lot freer and a lot quicker. It allowed you to use linebackers more often in stopping the run and then helped had had you match up KJ Cloyd on on tight ends and and slot receivers on occasion, which he's really good at. He's a good uh, cover guy in terms of being a linebacker and allowed the defense to be a little bit more aggressive in terms of their looks and how they handle things and also use James Williams in the box uh, as as a thing to confuse the the offense. And I think they would have used that against Virginia. They would have blocked things a lot better. But I think Virginia was able to get away with a lot of stuff in the running game because Miami was back to that four two five. I think Leonard Taylor plays a lot better playing at nose over the center, having to do double gapping and playing off one guy as opposed to trying to beat a double team or trying to fight off a pull and things of that nature. I think it just plays better to everybody's strengths if they play that 3-3-5 and allows Miami to be a little bit more aggressive defensively. I'd like to see them use that moving forward and go back to it now uh, in this game against NC State and moving forward the rest of the season. Boston College, I'm not going to get too far down the rabbit hole with them. They're obviously not as good as FSU and Louisville. In fact, they're 114th on defense in yards per play, 108th in rushing defense. Um, They've given up 13 touchdowns and only forced four interceptions. They're giving up 8.3 yards per pass, which is 121st. And and they've got the fewest tackles for loss in the country, 132nd, 126th in sacks. I mean, defensively, uh, that's the kind of game that you, you look at and you say, well, Miami, at the end of the year, you hope they're healthy enough to just take care of business and score enough points to beat Boston College. But Castellanos is going to be a problem for them. He's been a problem for other teams. He was a problem for Florida State. Um, 
But who knows what kind of mental state Miami will be at that point in the season, considering Florida State and Louisville are the two previous weeks. So, we'll, yeah, and if we'll, they've if they've gone over there, let's say they lose uh, to, to NC State and Florida State and Louisville, and they lose three in a row, there's guys are going to check out and make a business decision and say, "Listen, I got to get ready for the draft or next season or the transfer portal." Right. That'll be another issue. Right. Um, all right. So we we broke down November. I wanted to get to. Um, some of the mailbag questions. I also wanted to get to uh, the ACC future scheduling. Um, and I tweeted this out earlier um, for some of the followers because some of the non-conference games are included. But Carlos, I guess your initial response, did you see the new ACC scheduling or did you not even care? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I, I, listen, I follow your tweets like a stalker, man. <laughs> I'm hiding behind the bushes, reading those tweets, looking at you in your window, looking right. inside the kitchen. I'm like, I'm like Ghostface from, from Scream. You don't know when I'm there. I'm in the well, house. <laughs> well, listen, in 24, 25, and 26, Miami will be going to all three of the new teams. Uh, they will have at least one road game uh, at the three new additions each of those years. So they'll play at Cal in 24, at SMU in 25, and at Stanford in 26. Then in 27, they just have their traditional ACC rivals, Duke, FSU, NC State, Virginia Tech. Uh, in 28, it's BC, Pitt, Syracuse, and Virginia. In 29, uh, they'll go back on the road to play Cal, FSU, NC State, Virginia Tech, and then in 2030, uh, Clemson, North Carolina, SMU, and Virginia. So the, they'll have uh, – it's kind of like a little rotation there, but essentially um, they'll get the three new teams right away, at least one of those trips on the road. They'll also get to host them. Uh, Miami will be hosting Stanford in 2025, um, and they get Cal in 27, and then SMU comes in 29. So um, – you know, we'll get a look at these new programs. What I did like about what happened yesterday is that Miami Virginia Tech was brought back. And I think for all of us, Carlos, that was such an important series to continue and make it an annual rivalry. I know Virginia Tech is, look, they've, they've got a chance to reach the ACC championship game this year. They've only got one conference loss. They do have Louisville this week. But point is, uh, Brent Pry is trying to turn it around. Mario Cristobal is trying to turn it around. And I think when Miami and Virginia Tech play each other, it's a game that everybody wants to watch if you're a Miami fan. Yeah, to me, that's the second best rivalry for the Hurricanes uh, over the last 20 years, aside from Florida State, right? So, I mean, that's their yeah. biggest conference rival aside from Florida State, going back to the Big East. I mean, before they had Florida State in their conference, you know, it usually came down to Miami, Virginia Tech, uh, a lot in that conference. And and throughout the years, there have been some incredible battles between those two teams. You'd always expect a tough game between the two of them. Very rarely is there a blowout one way or another. Uh, and of course, you know, the environment in Blacksburg is is tremendous. So it's always fun to play up there, watch them play up there and see how they deal with that kind of environment. What's interesting is before Miami and Florida State and, and Miami, Virginia Tech, there was kind of alternate. Like one year, Miami would have to go to Florida State and then host Virginia Tech. Like it, it alternated. Uh, now it's home and home like next year uh miami gets florida state and virginia tech at home in 2024 but then in 25 they've got to go on the road to play fsu and virginia tech so that's sort of an interesting little wrinkle where now it's they're kind of on the same line um the 2024 home schedule not exactly sexy i added in the non-conference games uh the home schedule if you if you want to go watch the 24 canes florida a&m ball state duke florida state virginia tech and Wake Forest. Uh, Wake Forest hasn't been here in a long time, uh, so that'll be new. And then, of course, Duke, who is a new – seems like an entirely new program under Mike yeah. Elko. Uh, and then the road schedule, Florida, USF, uh, Cal, 
I'll be going uh, to there, hopefully. Georgia Tech, Louisville, and Syracuse. So Syracuse is a place Miami hasn't played at in a while either, Carlos. We haven't been in the, in the Carrier Dome or whatever the hell it's called now in a long time. Uh, that'll be interesting. The 25 home schedule is the one that I'm excited about because it's ridiculous. Have you seen this 25 home schedule? Notre Dame and Florida in the same year, right? <laughs> Notre Dame, Florida, USF, Louisville, NC State, Stanford, and Syracuse. Those are the seven home games right now. Only four away games at the moment. Florida State, Pitt, SMU, and Virginia Tech. So um, they will obviously add another opponent because they're going to have a 12-game schedule. Um, but uh, the home schedule in 25 is super interesting. Of course, some of the other non-conference games to discuss. Miami will be at Notre Dame in 2026. Uh, South Carolina will be coming here to Hard Rock Stadium in 27. Uh, Miami will be, let's see, who else? I'm looking at, at all these. USF is here the next uh, couple years. Uh, they have Auburn. What's at, what's 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 the over-under on Shane Beamer being the coach of South Carolina by the time they uh, come down here? <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question. Uh, him Probably and, not. Him and Dabo may have switched spots by then uh, after after what Dabo's uh, kind of going through up there at Clemson this year. But uh, but anyway, interesting. If you want to check out the uh, the entire schedule, I tweeted out what what we have through twenty thirty for Miami. Um, and and so uh, if you want to check it out, go ahead and, and look at my Twitter account, Manny underscore Navarro. All right, let's take a look here, Carlos, because I did request mailbag questions and I did get some responses. So let me let me sift through these and then we'll wrap this this puppy up. This is from Jake Campbell, the one coach soup. Manny, two thirds of the season is done. What's your overall grade on the cardiac canes? I think year over year they've made huge improvements at just about every position. There's not a single position group in my head where I think they've regressed. So my thought is B or B minus thoughts. Carlos, you can answer that one first. Um, well, the season's not over yet, and I think they're starting to regress to quarterback. So I think uh, I think that that statement's a little false. I mean, when you compare it to last season, yes, their, their quarterback play is better overall. Um, but the way the season started, I think the quarterback play clearly is regressing. You know, you've got Tyler throwing f only five touchdowns to seven interceptions in his three ACC games. That's not good. Um, you know, Emory Williams one and one in his game. It's it's a situation where they need to improve at the quarterback position to have a shot to finish the season strong, or else it's not going to happen. Um, you know, I do agree the offensive line looks better, defensive line looks better, secondary looks a little bit better to me. I would say B minus. I'm going to go with B plus, and and I'm going to say this: um, the tight end has been completely non-existent <clears throat> in this yep. offense. So that's where I have the biggest problem in terms of regression: the fact that it's just not a part of the offense whatsoever beyond blocking. Um, so to me, that's a big regression there. Um, but I think in a lot of other places, it has gotten better. I think Emery Williams, um, I'm, I'm enthusiastic about the future with him. I think he's going to be a good quarterback at Miami. I'd, I'd like to see Jakari Brown. I know that's a subject we haven't even touched on yet. The coaches were asked quite a bit about the backup quarterbacks going into this week, uh, after, after Tyler struggled as much as he did, but I am a little concerned about tight end. And I think that's the one area uh, quarterback, I'm not. I think eventually, I think a lot of this with Tyler has to do with him being banged up. He took some huge hits against North Carolina to the ribs, to the knee, uh, to his back. He was pile drive pretty hard in that game and in a lot of spots. And I don't think he's playing anywhere near 100% right now. Um, I would say tight end is is more of a of a uh, sort of curious position. Elijah Lofton, the 2024 commitment, the four star kid that Miami has committed a tight end one of the best in the country uh he's supposed to, he's supposedly reportedly visiting Texas this week so not a good sign that Miami's tight ends are not producing and that that kid 
who went to the same school as Brevin Jordan out in Las Vegas. Bishop Gorman is reportedly taking a visit out there. So, yeah, if I he would... sees the office ignoring his position, uh, he might want to go somewhere else. Yeah. All right. This is from Rusty Sedaris, R. Sedaris on Twitter. Is Mario messing with the offense again, or is this all Dawson slash TBD problem? I'll start on this one, Carlos. Um, I think this is a collective deal, right? Uh, if you listen to Shannon Dawson's press conference on Monday, he talked about how he and Mario discussed what they're going to do with the quarter quarterback position week to week to week. The head coach is always involved in this. Is it is he in charge of the game plan? No. I think Mario tries to influence the game plan and say, hey, we should be more conservative this week or, hey, we should take more shots on the field this week. I, I think it's a collective failing of the position here yeah. and, and and of the offense in general. I agree. And I, I think they came in with some good stuff to start the year, but that's good stuff uh, to start the year. They haven't evolved the offense at all throughout the season, and it's looked less and less innovative as the year has gone on. This is from J.K. Slate. How long should the leash be for TVD Saturday night? Listening to Dawson's press conference yesterday, it sounded like it is ride or die with TVD, win or lose. Yeah, I think that's the way the entire coaching staff probably feels about it. Uh, I think the only way TVD doesn't play is if he has a horrendous day or gets hurt again. I think that they've pretty much sent that message. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, a healthy TVD and one with the right game plan gives you the best shot to win anyway. Um, I think you can still win with him at quarterback, even if he's hobbled, right. if you run the right things and put him in the right position. This is from David Sims, David P. Sims. With four games remaining outside of the quarterback situation, which offensive and defensive units do you expect to have the greatest influence on the end of the season record? Either they need to keep playing at a high level or perhaps a position group that needs to step up collectively. Well, I think I think we realize this team is entirely built around the offensive line. I, I would say the team, the, the unit that has the chance the most influence the way this team finishes this season is the running backs. Because I think if they can get more involved, obviously it made a point how they had fewer rushes than they did passes in this last game. Uh, I think if if Mario and Shannon Dawson decide, hey, we've got a, a nice quartet here of running backs, we're going to let them eat, and they just run behind this offensive line, I think Miami has a chance to finish this season really strong. I think if they keep the same game plan, they could win only one or two games probably down the stretch, in my opinion. So to me, I think the running backs from an offensive perspective probably have the most influence. And then I would say from a defensive perspective, uh, the defensive line, we mentioned the injuries uh, up front to the two starters at the beginning of the year, Nigel Kelly and Akeem Mesador, how they're gone for the year. Uh, obviously, Ruben Bain has to continue to play at a super high level for Miami to have the kind of success that they want to have. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to the offensive and defensive lines. Those are going to be the two most important units the remainder of the season because those are the ones that are going to help you grind out wins, and that's the way Mario likes it. And I think there's if there's one position group that I think can influence the remainder of the season in a positive way uh, as a surprise to other teams would be the tight end position. If you can get the tight end involved and mix it into the, the offense, I think you will create a lot of opportunities for the offense, and I think you're going to catch teams off guard and make them defend the full field and do something they're not expecting you to. All right, this is from Andrew V underscore 17. If TVD has another performance like he did against Virginia, is it time to pull the plug? Do you think we see any Jakari Brown packages this season? I think the coaches made it pretty evident in their press conference this week that their plan from the beginning was to redshirt him and to really 
and, and we've talked about this on the podcast here without, without the coaches even talking about it. That's what it seemed like the coaches were doing. They were saving him maybe for some key games to save him for some key packages. And remember, you can play up to four games and still earn himself a redshirt. So I think Jakari most likely will have some packages. Again, Florida State seems like a, an ideal time to sort of unveil something like that, to throw a different wrinkle at the Seminoles, or even to do it against uh, Louisville. You know, one of these last three regular season games is when I can imagine him being used in that situation and maybe potentially save for the ACC championship or a bowl game. Absolutely. And I think that'll take some pressure off the running game as well. You'll add, if you're, if you're down a couple running backs, you could use him in a few packages to, to be another runner, another threat. Uh, it'll help TBD stay healthy. And I think at the end of the day, what it's, what's going to end up happening is it, it, it may not take Mario pulling TBD. It may be a situation where TBD himself says, listen, I'm not at hundred percent. I'm not playing well. I'm putting up crappy tape. I'm going to make a business decision and sit myself down and say, you know what? I'm injured. I can't play the rest of the season. Let teams know in the NFL that that's why uh, he's having a sort of a performance at the end of the year. Or maybe even look in the transfer portal at the end of the season, see if he makes a move. This is from Jeffrey Cook, JPC867. Interested in both of your thoughts on the ACC schedule release and also if either of you will go on record and call NC State a basketball school just to annoy Dave, Dave Doran even more. They are a basketball school. All right, Jim Balvano. <laughs> um, NC State's got a good program. They're just not an elite program. They're like the traditional eight and four, seven and five, and when things are really good, nine and three program. Um, they're just never going to be an elite program. And and I think it's not Dave Doran's fault. I think it's the talent pool that they recruit from. I think North Carolina is another example, right? They start out gangbuster six and zero. The last two weeks they lose to Virginia and Georgia Tech. So I I think it's a North Carolina thing. Like when have any of those programs in football ever been dominant? Like you can't even come up with many examples. So to me, well, back I just when Lawrence Taylor was with North Carolina. I think that's when they were really good. Um, but other yeah, than but that, they they've never played or won national championships in football. No, 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 never. Uh, NC State either, and and they've had some amazing basketball programs. To me, NC State is kind of like Wendy's. Like they're the, they're good. You know, you'll you'll eat Wendy's. You'll you'll enjoy it. I mean, it'll calm your hunger. It'll kill your hunger. Are you going to go out of your way to get Wendy's? Yeah, not really. I, not really. Uh, this is from Renton RC or E on Twitter. Um, it appears that his ride or die with Tyler is his injuries, the cause of his long ball lacking distance, zip, and accuracy, or is it mental? Also, the injuries at running back shows how important depth is at the position. Well, we see Trevante Citizen back this year. We kind of already talked about the Tyler thing with the zip and all and everything else. Carlos went into detail with that, and I did as well, thinking it's injuries. Um, but we, we should see- highlight that people called us crazy in the offseason when we decided they should add an additional running back for depth. Right. And thank God they did. Well, we see Trevante Citizen back this year, Carlos. I don't know. I, I think a lot of it is probably Mario needing to trust him in some capacity in, in terms of pass blocking. I don't think we will see him out there until he's trusted or until Miami pretty much has no choice and everybody's banged up and they need to play it, you know, need to play him. So they're preparing him to get him ready to play. I don't think he goes in if the other guys are healthy. Just my opinion. Um, this is from David Hernandez, D Hernan underscore. Do you think it's a mix of play calling and decision-making by TVD that's causing the passing game to sputter? I would like for Dawson to dress up like McDaniels and Brashard Smith as, as Tyree kill and have some pre-snap motion this weekend. <laughs> yes, I agree. 1000%. But then if Dawson's going to dress up like Mike McDaniel, he really has to dress up like Mark Anthony <laughs> because they're the same person. All right, this is from Jay Salter, J-R-S-Air23 on Twitter. 
What happened to the offense we saw against Texas A&M? Dawson unable to make adjustments to what defenses are showing, or is it the TVD is injured and that they had to scale it back to a handful of plays he is able to physically execute? Everybody wants to talk about this offense, Carlos. Uh, I, I think Dawson has scaled it back in some ways. I, I, I'll i give you an answer to that. The answer is nobody had tape on this offense at the beginning of the year. Right. So it was, it was very easy to come into games and have a plan that people weren't prepared for. You're also 100% healthy, so that helps. Um but even even though we were 100% healthy, TVD said his his uh, finger injury happened in the preseason, and he was dealing with that against Texas A&M. He threw the ball right. fine there, so that wasn't an issue. Um, to me, it's a situation, like I said, where they've got tape on this offense now. Dawson hasn't involved it. The offense is what it is. Even when TVD wasn't injured like he was against this Virginia this past week, he hasn't evolved the offense. He hasn't done anything different. The offense has looked the same every week since the season started, and that to me is a problem. The only difference he's he's really added in is a flea flicker on occasion. He's handed the ball to Brashard Smith, and he's gone two backs with Smith and uh, Henry Parrish, or sometimes uh, Don Chaney or A.J. Allen. Yeah, it's, it's it hasn't been very imaginative. Uh, again, I think you might just be saving some stuff too, Carlos. Um, this is from Tyler. Oh, we are. We're, this is the eighth game of the season. This dude ain't saving nothing. The only thing this guy's saving up for is to go to Wendy's. <laughs> this is from Tyler Overly, T. Overly on Twitter. What's the deal with the tight ends in our offense or lack thereof? Are there not plays for them? Are we waiting until FSU to use them? Make it make sense. This is where I add up the, the tight end catches. You ready for this, Carlos? Four, four for Let me 40. guess first. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So they just had two. I believe they had 12 coming into the game. 14. No. Uh, according to uh, college football stats, four for Riley Williams for 46 yards and a touchdown, four for 43 yards for Cam McCormick, and then uh, Jaleel Skinner, one for nine. So let's do the math. That's nine catches for uh, <laughs> 98 yards and a touchdown. Nine catches, 98 yards and a touchdown. And we're wondering why. Elijah Lofton is going what to is it? What is it? So it's four for Ryan Williams, four for Cam McCormick, and one for Jaleel Skinner. That's it? That's it. Nine catches for the tight ends this season. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> you want the running backs? Let's add up the running backs. You ready? Yeah, because uh, I don't throw them either. Henry Parrish, eight for 26. Mark Fletcher, two for nine. So that's 10 for 35. A.J. Allen, four for nine. That's 14 for 44. And then Don Chaney Jr., one for three. And Chris Johnson, one for two. So that's 16 for 48. Whew. It's ridiculous. All right. Um, this is from Brandon Keynes. Do Fletcher and Allen become the focal point of the offense for the last four games? Can we win two or three more and a bowl game with that approach and tough defense? Best Halloween costume, because I did ask to, to get everybody's best call, Halloween costume, he said, was Batman. That's what Brandon – Brandon says he, he – did you ever dress up as Batman? I did. I did as a kid. Do you remember those old plastic uh, uh, yes. costumes you used to buy? I used to buy mine at La Casa Los Trucos, which is like this a place on 8th Street yes. and like 15th Avenue and those yes. plastic masks with the rubber band in the back and the plastic – those things sucked. But, yeah, I was Batman a few times. <laughs> I even tried to make my own uh, Batman costume once. didn't work out. Didn't, didn't look good. Um, do they become the focal point of the offense for the last four games? And can we win two or three? Let's let's start with the focal point. Who do you think is the focal point? Because I honestly don't know who is. It used to be Xavier Strepo. For one game, it became Brashard Smith. 
And then this last game, it was Fletcher and Allen in the backfield. Well, who do you think is the focal point of this offense? Let's start with that. I think the focal point of the offense is the offensive line. Okay. However, you can leverage them because they're your best asset on the offensive line. That's where you go. And I think, like you said, if you've got four backs that can run, three backs that can go, whatever the case, you roll the dice and go with those guys, right? You, you go behind them. And I think moving forward, what I would like to see is Colby Young be more of a focal in the passing game, focal point of the passing game. Because yeah. every time he touches the ball, he makes plays. And and it's it, you know it's mind-boggling to me how they do not run stuff for him and create opportunities for him. Um, and then the last one from Brandon was, can we win two or three more games? Yeah, they can win two or three, two or three more games. Uh, yep. Winning ugly like they have uh, and playing good defense. But to me, the defense is the most interesting part because – uh, Branson Dean came back, had two sacks this last game. You have Ruben Bain playing out of his mind, six and a half sacks. Uh, we know these physical battles. Guys are going to get nicked up again. Like, this is not going to be like a fully healthy finish four and four, you know, four games down the stretch plus a bowl game. So who knows? But right now the defense is basically carrying this team. Yeah, it, it's – and I think there's still room for improvement on the defensive side. Um, but, you know, again, it's going to be the offensive and defense lines to me that carry this team home. And this last one from Franco Anton, Skip shoot, uh, Sucks Maker on Twitter. Are they having oh. the Jacari package for Florida State? FSU's run defense isn't great and could be a possible matchup we could exploit with our O-line and his strong run, running ability. Well, um, Fra Franco, you mentioned um, FSU's run defense not being very good. Let me look at what FSU's run defense really is. You ready? Let's go Let's go to that. Right, six so top top 40. They're 64th, 4.02 oh. yards per rush. So, yeah, they're mediocre. Uh, but, again, they're so good against the pass. Only three touchdowns allowed through the air. Um, and they've, they've uh, you know, they've got nine turnovers. They're plus five in the turnover margin right now. Uh, and, and only allowing five yards a play, which is 28th. So, they're not terrible. Um, as I get messaged over and over again from my, my buddies here in the ACC. Um so I don't know, Carlos. What do you think? Do you think? Do you think ultimately we see Jakari this season? I would say I'd like to see him. I think that'll be a, another dimension to the offense that'll help. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if Tyler gets shut down for the rest of the year, maybe after this game, we definitely see him. I think. Okay. Well, that's gonna wrap it up for this episode this week for uh, Wide Right, Carlos. Uh, where are you going trick or treating tonight? Are you uh, are you going out in your uh, Uncle Fluke costume, or what are you doing? I am not. We have a haunted mansion theme uh, for the family this evening. We are going in our local neighborhood here, uh, riding around and uh, going around the houses here because they do some great, great stuff with the houses here in terms of decorations and you know setting up little mini haunted houses for the kids. So it'll be fun. All right. Well, you you enjoy it. I will be here in my house in Pembroke Pines, walking around with the girls, doing the trick or treat thing as well. Stay safe out there. And uh, thank you. Don't forget, make sure you subscribe to the MIA All Day podcast as well as Wide Right. If you uh, can subscribe to The Athletic, I'd be much appreciated. You can follow us here on YouTube or wherever you download your podcast. For Carlos Ledo, I'm Manny Navarro of The Athletic. We will see you next time. Peace.